Welcome, everybody, to Nothing to Fear, the podcast about Star Wars references and occasionally horror movies. My name is Billy Schultz, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Luke Mason. Hello. Mm. Hello. And Alex Wan. Hello. Hey, hey. Hello. And we're gathered around the microphones again to talk about a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a question for Alex off the hop, though. Oh, I want to hear it. I want to know, can you spell it? Mm. E T. <laughs> no, actually, the Phone. correct answer was P E N N Y W I S E. Pennywise. Oh. Sorry, I'm just clowning around. Can I leave? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're excused. Thank you. We'll see if we can scrounge up a third host. <laughs> you did threaten to quit on the Hereditary episode. You did say you hated it and you wanted to go. So yeah, but that was a I'm joke. Just... That was one of the f- many funny jokes that we. One tell. of the many jokes you'll get on the Nothing to Fear podcast. Still um... haven't heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> now that was a funny joke. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yes, we are, as Luke alluded to earlier. We are watching the movie It today. It Chapter One from 2017. I'm not. I didn't check it, but I'm. That is very, correct. Luke is saying the date is correct, so you know it's a lock, everybody. <laughs> so it's either 2016 or 2018, right? <laughs> okay, a bit of an aside here. Uh, <laughs> don't mind the digression. Uh, I at work I run this program called Guess What, which is a trivia program. Chicken butt. And I always, whenever a kid gets a correct answer, I look at them for like four seconds and I'll say their name and be like, "That is correct." And so, Billy, that is correct! Okay, 2017, It Chapter 1. I, surprising no one, have not seen this movie. I think I have seen the miniseries from the 90s once on mute at a bar, so I don't know if that counts as watching it. I would argue it doesn't count as watching it. And I definitely haven't seen the new one, but this is one of those movies, again, that came out recently enough for me to be like, I am missing out on pop culture by not watching this, so I'm excited to get it. Under my belt, I know a little bit about it, but I want to hear what you know about this movie. Alex, have you seen it? What is your history with It? Okay, my history with It, well, there's lots, but if we're talking about It Chapter One, <laughs> I actually have seen this movie. I saw it in theaters. Um, I saw it with Luke, actually. Hey, do you remember a time when you could go to a theater? No. So long ago. No, I well, don't. Well, at least all the world's a stage. And that's called Breaking the Fourth Wall. That's hereditary. It's not breaking... What? <laughs> This whole podcast is fourth wall breaks. No. <laughs> okay, tell me about it. You were in the theater. Yeah, I was in the theater. I was with Luke. So this was when me and Luke worked together, and there was a group of us that we, we enjoyed watching scary movies together. I don't think... I think some of us didn't like it, but we enjoyed the experience of doing it together. Because we were, we were close-knit like that, so it... It was our pre-podcast, Nothing to Fear Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> You know, the trailer comes out. Strangely ominous. And it looks scary, and it's it's a there's a clown in it. So it's like, oh, we should go watch this. It'll be fun. And it was fun, and I actually really liked it. And it was very scary, but I had a good time. And I think it's it's kind of one of those movies that, is, as you said, is pretty ingrained in pop culture that a lot of people do kind of know bits and pieces of what it's about. And um, <laughs> What it's about? Yeah, ah. Yes. Are, are we doing this just like the thing? It's going to be just like the thing. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's a cool story, and it did not make me want to read the book, but... I've heard the book is very long and also very gross in parts. Yeah. So... the I think the best part of it is, like, it's... The characters are all kids, and they're all really well-acted kids, and it's it's just fun banter among a group of friends, and yeah, it's a fun movie, but it's very scary. Okay, I'm excited. Luke, do you have more experience with this film? This movie's awesome. I loved it. 
seeing it in the theaters because it is actually sincerely scary and also hilarious. It is a very charming and comedic and funny because it's got the it's got the kid charm of the Stand by Me feel of Stephen King, but also the horror. And Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise is fucking unbelievable. He is so creepy, and he does such a good job with this character that it's it's just you're you're so it's so impressive, right? You're just like, was... You are acting your ass off. I thought it was Alexander Skarsgård. No, no, no Skarsgård is Pennywise. It's one of the Skarsgårds. Yeah, yeah. And I will just point out that especially pay attention to Richie and Eddie in this movie because they are so funny and it's kind of Alex mentioned breaking the fourth wall earlier it's it came out in 2017 which is you know right when Stranger Things was oh yeah at its peak you know and it might get there again with season four not yet come out but you know it's a little bit surreal because Finn Wolfhard plays Richie in it so you're just getting all of these Mike vibes while you're getting Stranger Things vibes because it's all around the kids and it's set in the 80s. And they travel so, around with their bikes. Yeah. So you're just like... And they fight a Demogorgon. It's honestly like you're... Wait. There's a lot of this movie where you feel like you're watching an R-rated Stranger Things. Oh, neat. So it's very charming in that way. And and Finn Wolfhard as Richie is so funny and so crude that it's just so up my alley. It's very super bad-esque, oh, his character. Okay. Have you read the book? No, I... Uh, <laughs> I looked at it, and it made the stand look like light reading. Oh, no. The stand <laughs> yeah. was so long. It's, like, even bigger than the stand. God. So, no, I haven't read the book, and I don't think I need to. It Chapter 1 is great, and we're going to do It Chapter 2, which is okay. But the two of them together, you get the story. Mm-hmm. So That's, I guess, what you want in any movie adaptation. <laughs> Although, the movie it, makes the story. Is it, it Chapter 3 coming out? I thought I saw a promotional that they're going to make another one. This is they, they brand did. new. Brand like, new but, like, not with the same characters. 27 years one of the iterations when Penny... Oh, I guess this is a spoiler. So I'll I wait know till the spoiler. Okay. But, but we'll wait till the second half to talk about that. Maybe. Obligatory yeah. spoilers comment. Yes. Friends. Maybe There's just spoilers. beep that out. Beep everything out. I know it's I probably should. The first should. half is beep. So yeah, no. <laughs> movie's great. I'm super pumped to watch it. I think you'll enjoy it, this one, Billy. And you said you know parts of it? Yeah, I know, you know the general, general process. So I, I know... Uh, so yeah, friends, if you're listening and you haven't seen... It chapter one or two and you want to before you listen to this podcast this is your obligatory spoiler warning especially in the second half we're going to talk about it all up and down with spoilers but i know that pennywise is some sort of demonic alien life form type thing who can take on the shape of fears or like take on different shapes and that's a bogart 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 humphrey bogart here's looking at you luke (laughs) sorry i'm drawing casablanca's That's how easily we could get off topic. That was like two seconds. I don't even remember what I was saying. Uh, Okay, so Pennywise comes, and it's like a a cyclical thing. It's every 27 years, so the first chapter is with the kids encountering Pennywise, and they all, most people, I think, make it through to the end of the movie because they all come back as adults. I think there's probably... There's probably a couple deaths. I would. I know that maybe some certain younger siblings don't fare too well, but I haven't seen it. I remember seeing the trailer. I remember being really scared of the trailer. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing a animatronic. It was around Halloween of this big animatronic Pennywise holding a kid in a raincoat, and it looked really scary. So, <laughs> yeah, I know there's the the red balloon attached to the sewer grate. When that movie came out, there was just in my neighborhood there was a couple little <laughs> sewer grates with little red balloons with white string. So. Yeah, and I've, I've I know I know a very great number of memes of what would Pennywise have to say to you to get you down in the sewer, and it's hey, there's a rent control department down here, or <laughs> like hey, there's a job with benefits down here. And it's like oh, this is how adults are gonna come down. Yeah, so 
I think we should watch it. I'm really excited for it. I know it's going to be scary because it has been reported as being scary by across the board. Uh, and I'm definitely squeamish. If there's a thing I dislike almost as much as zombies, it's clowns. Don't love clowns. They freak me out at the best of times. And so I'm ready to do it. Cool. I'm ready to go in. Before we go in, usual disclaimer. There's the potential that we talk about triggering things. And the movie has, you know, horror movie again. Lots of gore. Lots of violence. So if you're triggered by stuff, do check out doesthedogdie.com. It will help you, you know, see what's coming. If you are not a fan of graphic dismemberment, you might not want to watch this movie. Okay. Big old trigger warning. <laughs> there you go. She's already captain. Thanks, Billy. just finished watching it which is retroly known as it chapter one and it is a 2017 american supernatural horror film based on stephen king's 1986 novel of the same name it is the first film in the it film series as well as being the second adaptation following tommy lee wallace's 1990 miniseries the film tells the story of seven children in Derry, maine who are terrorized by the eponymous being only to face their own personal demons in the process. The film is also known as It Part 1, The Losers Club. Oh, I get it, because it's like the breakfast club, but they're all losers. Mm-hmm. And there's a Molly Ringwald joke in there. So. Ah, don't you forget about that joke. <laughs> did, I, did I say that word right? What? Eponymous? Eponymous, yeah. The titular character. I like that word more. You said it correct when you were saying it about itself. Okay, excellent. All right, yeah, so we just watched Do you think the band Pennywise was named after the clown? Or do you think the clown was named after the band Pennywise? I would for 1,000% say that the band was named after the clown. Hmm, all right. When was was Pennywise a thing? Like the 80s and 90s. Mm. I wouldn't say for sure either way. But I think when when the book It probably came out in the 80s. 86. Oh, okay. Were you paying attention when I was reading the intro? Yeah, come on. You listening? Almost never. Almost never. <laughs> Luke's just waiting for his... He's like, there's words that aren't my voice. Yeah. Now it's quiet, so I'll say something. If you notice, like our uh, previous episodes, how unconnected my points are to anything either of you say, <laughs> it's because I literally don't even know you're here. <laughs> Actually, what we do is we all record separately without any Who said that? Checks. <laughs> and then I spend hours cutting it together into this seamless, seamless show. That would make it even more impressive, actually. I know. I'm a legend. Anyway, 
Let's talk about the movie. Mm-hmm. This movie. Before we talk about our, our initial likes, our initial takes on it, I want to take a couple minutes to sort of sort out some of the characters and get people with a little picture in their mind because there are a lot of characters in this in this movie. It's very much an ensemble movie. There are seven main characters, and that is a funny joke because they are the principal stars, but also they're from the state of Maine in the United States. Good joke. There are lots of characters. Yeah. Here we go. So Bill is the first character we see. We see Bill and Georgie. Bill and Georgie are brothers, and Georgie is less a character and more a plot device in that he's on the screen for about three minutes before he's getting dragged into the sewer by Pennywise the Clown. So Bill is the older brother. He's grieving the loss of his little brother throughout the whole movie. He suffers from a fairly severe speech impediment, and the fear that Pennywise keeps showing him is basically his brother, his missing little brother. Then we move on to Stanley, who is studying for his bar mitzvah. So he's studying the Torah, and we see that that's something that's on his mind, but he is also very afraid of this painting of a very frightening flute-playing lady, which I totally get. That painting would scare me. She's got, like, kind of, if you had an oval face, like a vertical oval face, and then you just distorted it left and right, left and right, you know? Yeah, it was it was similar to the Scream, the Edvard Munch Scream mm, almost yes. yeah. painting. But, so that's Stanley. We don't get a lot of stuff from Stanley. I mean, he comes into, he has something happen to him much later. Eddie is the hypochondriac of the group and one of the chief sort of joke crackers. Mm -hmm. His big fear that Pennywise shows him is a leper. So someone who's super diseased and infectious. And he's always worried about his allergies and his asthma and his, you know, walking through gray water. And he has a really great spiel about the AIDS epidemic. And he's worried about it. And it's all very good, like uninformed kids of the eighties fears. Richie is scared of clowns. He makes a lot of jokes, which I think he's very insecure. And spoiler alert, I liked him the very least mm-hmm. out of all of the characters. Interesting. <laughs> ben is a new kid in town. He has no friends, so he studies up on the history of Derry, Maine. He's the one who kind of figures out all of the why behind it. And he has a, a scare about a Easter explosion in 1908. Did I get that one right? Uh, and then we have the only girl in the group is Beverly. She is scared. Her fear is a sink full of blood and hair, which I wrote on my notes, puberty question mark, because she, her real life fear is her dad. She's also buying tampons. She's very buying tampons. In the, yeah. In the movie. So I think we so can talk about in there. her stuff later and especially the stuff with her dad. Mm. Then we have Mike who is very visibly the only uh, minority well one of the only minority characters in the group he's the only black kid in the crew and he's homeschooled he's you know he's he's his fear is his uh, family his mom and dad burned down in a house fire and he's obviously dealing with like the racist assholes of the town he also works in like a slaughterhouse with his grandfather yeah he works in a slaughterhouse where they they kill sheep for mutton mutton and lamb and, and what have you and then, so that's the seven. That's the, the, the losers club. Did I do a pretty good job summing them folks up? Mm-hmm. And we have the human antagonists, which are the bully crew played by, I don't know the actor's names, but Henry is kind of the leader. He's a legitimate psychopath and murderer and just horrible, fucked up dude. And he has got a little crew of 
pretty nameless thugs. If they weren't ever named, like, once or twice in the movie, in the credits, it would have been a bully one, bully two, bully three. Yeah, it would be Patrick, because he gets a scene, which is a sort of second in command, who has a... His distinguishing his distinguishing trait is lighter plus hairspray equals flamethrower. <laughs> then there's one who belches and blonde one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the eponymous character, It, which is the demon clown spirit of evil that comes around every 27 years. How we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eats them. And eats them. But he eats not just their fears, not just their body, but he also feeds off their fears. Mm-hmm. So... I guess he's got a balanced diet. He can't just eat flesh, and he can't just go to a movie theater and get scares. He has to have... He's kind of like a more visceral Dementor. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Dementors are like sucking... What do they suck out of you? Suck happiness. Yeah. Suck happiness. Well, he's like sucking fear with his many teeth. So many teeth! <laughs> Imagine how long it takes him to brush those teeth. He didn't brush them. Oh, no. Bad dental hygiene. My <laughs> mom would be so upset. <laughs> So if anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of a rundown of the characters. If you sleep we... for 27 years, you don't need a clean mouth. Oh, there It'll you just go. be gross when you wake up. Yeah, talk about morning breath, am I right? <laughs> Good one. That's this show, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so what did what did you think? Uh, let's let's talk about our, our thoughts. Luke, what, how did you find this viewing of It, chapter one? I liked it a little bit more the first time I saw it, but I think it was because I saw it in theaters, so it made it a little scarier and a little bit more... Well, and you don't know what's coming, so... That always helps, but I still liked it. It's a lot of fun. It's the kids are great. They're they're so funny. I gravitated towards uh, Eddie the most because I loved his kind of sincere stupidity, as opposed to Richie's feigned or sarcastic stupidity kind of thing. But also, Eddie would be such an annoying kid to be around <laughs> because of his constant. Uh, verbal ejaculations about nothing you know and, and i think and so taken sure alone of all of them would be annoying to be around sure yes but eddie Solo. very much too but but as a viewer of the movie i found him to be very charming and hilarious oh, okay. and just such a like short shorts <laughs> high socks short shorts almost high up socks. to his knees fanny pack calculator watch but yeah i mean yeah we can agree he had the best style mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite part of this movie, other than the banter of the kids, would have to be the... uh, This is like almost a perfect Stephen King story in the sense that it's not like the best story ever, but it's so good at highlighting so many of the deep things that Stephen King tries to get at, which are like irresponsible parents, parents who don't care about the kids, or parents who abuse their kids, or bullies, or like the insecurity of bullies, and just uh, painting a tapestry of all of the things in real life that have that let people's lives fall apart. I think Stephen King is a genius at that. And yeah. This movie is like, again, the paradigm of that kind of story. So mm-hmm. that'd be my... Love it. Mr. Wan. Yeah, I... This is the second time I've seen it. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot again. It's definitely less scary than I remembered it to be. But I think I'm also with Luke in that, you know, when we saw it the first time, it was in a dark theater with the large screen and, you know, the surround sound and as well as you don't actually know what's going on. I think this is a movie where once you've watched it once and you know when the scares are coming, they're not as scary because... Yeah, I remember being really scared the first time I saw it, but this time it was just like, I know exactly what's going to happen and what scared me the first time, so I was anticipating it. Not to say that I didn't it, make, it didn't make me enjoy it any less, it was just less scary the second time, which maybe that's that's the everything, right? If you know what's 
coming and if you know what's expected you're less scared but yeah I, I enjoyed the movie a lot again and yeah I think really the thing that makes this a fun movie to watch is the dynamic of the group um they're just fun characters they're so distinguishable in you know their characteristics that it's I think I talked about this in our episode of Event Horizon where I'm like I don't really remember any of these people's (laughs) names like all I know is your whatever your typecast is this role but I think when I watched it the first time and again this time it was really easy to instantly remember which kid was which kid just because they all have such differing personalities that were so easily distinguishable but also fun to remember it's fun to know that Richie is the foul mouth glasses kid it's fun to remember that you know, Ben is kind of the heart of gold, but really kind of a little bit socially awkward one. And yeah, I think the kids make this a great movie. And I think the filmmakers did a fantastic job at casting these kids. It was good. Yeah, I enjoyed this movie. It was the first time I'd seen it. I was, you know, upon its release, still very afraid to see it. It was too spooky, but I have to admit that though this is unquestionably a horror movie, there's a lot of scary scenes and a lot of gory stuff. I wasn't scared very often. The the times when I was scared or unsettled the most were not the times that Pennywise was dancing around and being gory and violent and shape-shifting and and whatever. It was scenes of real-life horror that were making me the most uncomfortable. We'll get into more of it when we talk about the plot rundown, but especially the stuff with Beverly and her dad. That was some of the most unsettling parts of this movie and very, very, uh, just very stressful to to know that that is a thing that happens and it happens all too often in all sorts of situations. And I just felt so bad for Beverly. I really identified with Beverly in this in this movie. But the, the clown stuff, uh, while I don't like clowns, it's... It's easy to, you know, factor in your your fear of Pennywise because he's not coded as anything other than scary from the word go. Like the first time we see him, he's in a sewer and he's being really creepy. And yes, he's dressed as a clown, but he's drooling. He's got a real weird growly voice. He's enticing a small child to come down into the sewers with him there's no way you can look at that and go like this is a normal scene this is a totally normal situation that's very very plain and nothing to fear here although that lady Mm. seemed thought it was normal that georgie was just kind of talking into and reaching into the drain yeah maybe yeah yeah that was weird she was well i think that's just the theme adults not being as vigilant as they might be to protect the young people right in the place Right? Just like, hey, are you okay? What well, are you doing? Because even if she didn't know he was talking to someone in a sewer, it, she know, she probably knows how big that sewer hole is. And if there's water running, it's like automatically... Right. There's a danger of this kid being swept exactly. in. Exactly. As a responsible adult, that's kind of your first thing that you would think of. Is like, didn't you see the, the sign of Dairy Maine? It said, Dairy Maine, home of zero responsible adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, which kind of goes back to that theme of, you know, mm-hmm. just absent parents and lack of adult figures kids are on your own this is this is, the, you, you gotta look out for yourselves kids because the adults are all too busy or too gross to help you yeah i kind of thought it wasn't as visually there were things that were really scary and kind of the real life horror things are are terrifying but i thought the more i think about it is like all the all the monsters and the times pennywise shows up aren't as scary because I feel like the tension's always being broken by some kind of funny banter or like a one-off line that like 
it fits so well with the characters, but the the way that they deliver it and when you hear it, it's so ridiculous and out there that you're just like, this is funny. It kind of breaks the tension up a little bit. That's true. That's true. The the scary parts don't have yeah, they don't have a mo- they don't have time to grow and they don't have time to sit and fester in some other in some other horror movies that we have done. It's just tension that builds the whole time. This was always like, scary thing, release, scary thing, release, scary thing, release. Or if it would be multiple scary things, so you wouldn't even have time to process the previous scary thing. Mm-hmm. It was just a scary thing gun shooting scary things. Well, I not the best description, but a scary I, I, thing, I hope you understand what I mean. Yes, a scary thing gun shooting scary things. It's well, a I think very that that's phrase. actually quite, again, in the in the way that Stephen King writes, his kind of horror is not, tension-based horror as much it's very much character development based horror sure and so even like the stand which is one that we did on the other podcast with david and billy it's the the horror element is kind of serving a broader purpose the supernatural horror elements pennywise if you get into the deeper stephen king lore is one entity from a bigger realm that is that is on earth and doing this thing and so each book itself is kind of its self-contained thing in a bigger world that's all connected and so the the fact that you would have these characters cutting the tension is a weird sense of realism almost to these this horror movie where 12 year olds probably are kind of shitheads with each other and maybe they're not as scared as they should be but richie especially being the the smart ass one and not getting his scare until he's the last one to get it of all the kids. Yeah, Yeah, it makes sense he'd keep breaking the tension in the way that he breaks tension, right? So I did also want to mention Bill Skarsgård does an awesome job as Pennywise. Yes, he does a very good job. acting, and especially that first scene with Georgie, (gasps) mine too, is just drooling. It's so good. So It's very unsettling. He does does a great job, yeah. So massive props to Bill Skarsgård. You were waiting... Bill Skarsgård, I know you're listening. You're waiting to hear it. We got you. But yeah, it happened. I'm so glad I watched it, though. I'm so glad I experienced it. Oh, I remember I had a thought about how they could make it scary. And I think something that took away from the fear was we we saw in such rapid succession everybody's fear of the clown. So we saw the clown right away, and it was a, a burn victim from Mike and then very quickly after we saw it in the library and it was Ben's you know research on the Easter explosion that Derry had in the early 1900s and he sees a headless corpse kind of shambling towards him then we see Stanley with the scary flute lady we see we just see so many cuts of Pennywise taking different forms that this creature whatever it is you don't know what its true form is or if it even has one and so you're just like well he it's not that scary because he has too many forms. I wonder if it would be, you know, I wonder if they did like a, a limited series where almost the first seven episodes are just this one kid getting scared by it in the very particular way. I wonder if that would have done a bit more to stretch the tension and make it more scary. Because I found that because he switched things and was always just a different collection of gaping mouths with teeth, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, so I believe it feeds on children's fears because children are easier to fear right kind of looking back at all these fears it's 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 things that kids would find scary it's the monster under the bed or whatever is yeah. in the closet the it's, weird painting that your yeah. dad has for whatever it's, reason it's not anything that a rational adult would actually be scared of unless it's physically something that's chasing you i wonder if it was trying to scare the adults of dairy what would it do would it have like a final mortgage collection notice chasing after you or like <laughs> it'd you know. be just a broken dishwasher yeah <laughs> <laughs> now i gotta buy a new appliance yeah though it did say that 
like Ben's research showed that it did attack adults in the past. True. Right? When so. it was a when Dairymane was just like a beaver trading. Yeah, and I, I'm sure this is probably explained more in the actual book, but my theory is that once it attacked the adults and then it realized that kids were just so much easier to scare mm. and to feed off of that it's like, why put in that much effort on adults when kids I could put in half the effort and get double from kids right. it's kind of like in monsters Inc. i was it's like, just gonna say yeah monsters why <laughs> why scare the kids when we could make them laugh and it's 10 times more powerful so come on it you should be making the kids laugh well and i mean pennywise is a pretty obvious analogy then too for like things of the world that attack kids or things that of the world right. that are dangerous for kids and then the stephen king criticism is there's just so many parents who don't protect their kids or didn't look out for them or don't listen to them would be even more a realistic way of putting it. Just not paying attention. I think a lot of this movie, especially the the real <laughs> specter or the real demon is inattention yeah. and, and lack of conscious effort done in the form of like friendship or like community building and, and taking care of people who have clear mental health issues and, and stuff of that nature. And I think, again, this is the Stephen King genius of his work is if you ignore these kind of people and if you are these if you act in this kind of way especially to young people here's what you may rot right in your uh, here's what happens to them psychologically and here's how they can be damaged and i mean in a lot of his work it's a supernatural entity that stands in for a lot of that stuff but right. a lot of it's also just the bullies yeah bullies you know and, and running away or, or missing so it's freaky. I, I, I like it. it. It works at both levels. It's a, okay, there's a supernatural entity that has an interest in eating our souls or whatever. And also um, be conscious about your life because here is the negative side effects of being unconscious going through your life. Yeah. And further to your point about the parents, the, the only time we saw any parenting done was to correct something that the kid was doing that was wrong, mm -hmm. but ignoring the, the reason why they were doing the thing that was wrong, you know, and never in a gentle manner. No. Right? Like, like, never in a loving, caring, but correcting manner. It was always just, no, you did bad. It. Yeah, exactly. So, very, very early on, we have, you know, we have Georgie goes missing in October of 1988, and then it cuts to June 1989, right? Yeah. yeah. June 1989. So, it's finished. six months. It's summer. And six months. October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. Eight months. <laughs> but he, Bill goes home and he's laid out this, he's used the hamster pipes to rework the sewers. And he's got a map of the town and he's trying to find out what happened to Georgie because I guess they, they can't find his body anywhere. They think, well, maybe it got washed out this way or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And... The only thing that his dad does, who is shown at the very start, is just basically like, clean this shit up. You have to get over your brother who died not even a full year ago. Why are you still sad about this? <laughs> and it was just, okay, so here we, we are getting a clear line of don't go to the adults for help. They're just going to yell at me and they're just going to make me feel bad. So I'm on my own. Yeah, and I don't know if you notice, now that I think about it, you see Bill and Georgie's mom once. In the movie. So when at the very start of the film, right, yeah. when Bill sends Georgie to go get the paper wax and Georgie goes downstairs and you hear piano being played in the background, you see a, a, a oh, woman playing yeah. piano. And I, I guess it's implied it's the mother. Like, I don't know why else there would be an, a woman in the house. So it's implied that it's the mom. And that's the only time you see her. But Alex then, thinks a woman can't, woman can't go into a house unless they're married. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a mom. 
<laughs> Sorry. Or it's at implied least play that piano. Like who who would be yeah, why would there be a random woman just playing piano in their house? Yeah. This isn't Halloween. <laughs> and if yeah. it was, she'd be doing it in the bed. Oh god, okay. <laughs> Please continue. Sorry. So um, we see we see mom yeah, playing then, piano. Yeah, and then Georgie runs out of the house by himself, but and like I don't know, maybe it was the eighties, it was a little bit different, but I don't know. If your five year old is running out of the house when it's like a it's, flooding, a it's a flooding storm yeah. outside. I don't know. I feel like the mom would have said something or been a... Yeah, a, a and more that's like another... responsible, aware parent would have been yeah. like, okay, don't stray into the road or whatever. Like, yeah, we'll let you play outside, but yeah, be safe. Well, this theme that is mirrored in the scene with the projector, because right. I believe that's Bill and Georgie's mom that in Pennywise's picture, yeah. face is superimposed on yes. and then comes around. So it's like, again, thematically, because mom and dad aren't so involved in their lives this terror kind of takes the place of them right Mm. right there's this if you imagine a real life scenario of like losing a sibling at that age like bill does and then not having this is kind of what happens in stand by me the other the body which is a stephen king novella in that book gordy loses his older brother and his parents deal with that by hating him and not talking to him about it right and so Bill doesn't seem like he's getting any actual emotional support. And so that specter or the Pennywise that is the stand-in for whatever evil takes the form of his parents, right? And I think that's thematically important yeah, that's, too, that's cool, right? that's cool. What was the second time we saw Bill's mom? Oh, I, I only said one. Did I say oh, two? We, we, we said, said like, there was a couple. The picture. I oh, think. the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah the picture okay. in the in the slideshow. But you don't actually even see her full face unless... No. Because it's just covered in hair. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, parents, no... No teachers. Yeah, and They're... then Eddie's mom, I think it's it's pretty easily implied that it's like Munchausen by syndrome Munchausen or by, by proxy. proxy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Maybe just a little bit of the the proto helicopter parent that was you know, some sort of coming to the fore in Do you wanna just give a quick rundown of Munchausen yeah. syndrome for um, anyone who doesn't know? Oh, so sure. from my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, is it's the parent will often either exaggerate or even Put cause harm, harm yeah. cause harm to their child in order to get attention and people feeling bad for them. Yeah, sympathy. And it, yeah, whether that's, you know, neglecting their child and then bring them to the doctor and be like, my child's so sick and getting attention that way or like, actually like, you know, possibly poisoning them and getting them sick on purpose, stuff like that. Well, and I mean, also protecting, protecting, I say in scare quotes, protecting Eddie from the world so that he's terrified of everything, which means that he's not ready to handle actual things that come his way. Yeah. Right? So it's like the so archetype of the over... he relies on yeah. his mom, yeah. The, the archetype of the overprotective mother. It's the same idea of entangled Rapunzel, right? Like, it's not the... Yeah, so it's not a helicopter parent. It's more of a lawnmower parent where mm. a helicopter parent is there to swoop in and stop you from getting hurt if you're about to, mm. real or imagined, but a lawnmower parent is somebody who mows down any sort of obstacle so it's just a flat plank with it and you have zero experiences that could be negative mm. yeah it's not a great way to raise your kids mixed with just a healthy dose of agoraphobia in mm. there as well yeah yeah did you like a kiss from me too mrs k <laughs> <laughs> i did like eddie's hypochondria that's yeah. poison ivy that's poison ivy that's poison ivy not every plant is poison ivy <laughs> <laughs> settle down <laughs> so the town of Derry. i really want to just make this comment make sure it's on the show but i really got the first jumanji movies vibe from it whatever ta- i don't remember what town that was set in but just this very sort of northeastern united states town vibe it just felt very jumanji the end podcast over everyone we did it <laughs> trees rivers 
old you name buildings. It. Big old Victorian a style main houses. street. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a main street. It was quaint buildings. Yeah, it was quaint. Quaint town, but like all quaint towns, there's evil in it. <laughs> Just so when when the plot picks up back after George's disappearance, it's the end of school. We meet our human antagonists we meet the bullies they're giving people shit they're just being awful and they can't really do anything because there are grown-ups around to stop them they look over and there's two cops that kind of look over well, at the bully uh, one of them was stopped. henry's dad but we didn't know that at that yeah, point not yeah it was just some random cop and then he, he stops and so they can't do anything we see beverly getting bullied in the girls bathroom by this greta character who really only exists to just be a pain, really, right? But very she minorly. She, like, shows up twice in the movie. She shows up twice. She shows up to be to be gross. And... Uh, Dirty oh. trash water being poured. Uh, so, so disgusting. Gross. That is such a common trope of high school, is there's always a bullying squad, and there's kids that are getting picked on. And I... Maybe I wasn't bullied enough in high school, <laughs> but I don't remember... Or maybe we're just way nicer in Canada. I bet that was it. We, I just don't remember that sort of scene of bullying happening in real life and obviously it's a movie well i think bullying is way more subtle than how they show portrayed in movies and tv shows you know yeah you would be completely ignorant to say that bullying doesn't exist and anything like oh that. no i'm not saying bullying doesn't yeah, yeah. exist but it doesn't exist like it does in movies it's very hard to imagine you know a bully physically cutting a, a some their victim's stomach with a knife, right? Yeah, like, that could that like was I would I would that's not bullying. That's just assault. That's assault and attempted murder. Yeah, and it's definitely I feel like it's not to say it's never happened, but I feel like the the bullying portrayed in this movie is very exaggerated, physical bullying. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas there's much more, you know, name calling or cyber bullying or or rumor spreading, like all these sort of more subtle forms yeah. of bullying. That I guess you're right. They don't. They don't make for good movie. If you had a, a movie about somebody spreading rumors about people, it well, which they might did. not be as... The whole school was spreading rumors about Beverly in this movie. That's true. But it was on top of... On top of the whole dumping the dirty The absolute water. <laughs> actual violence and assault that was going on. But again, also, I was three years old in 1988. It could also four. be more era dependent. Yeah, like maybe. It probably was a little bit more, more overt in the 70s and 80s than it is now. And especially because when we were in school, that's a lot of the campaigns, the modern anti-bullying campaigns would have been starting mm. like in the 90s. I sure. think there was a lot of kind of just student cultural reform that was implemented in the 90s for kids in school because bullying became a more known phenomenon or more talked about, or at least it went from, oh, you know, toughen up to, no, we don't need to have our youth abusing our other youth. Uh, right, it's, not, it's yeah. no longer a rite <laughs> yeah. of passage. Yeah, exactly. It's more like, actually, maybe if we didn't abuse the lesser folk in our school, mm -hmm. everyone would feel better about themselves. Yeah. So, I mean... Thanks, 90s self-esteem. Yeah, like, I think if they made... Well, they do have an It chapter, too, but, like, if it's a movie set more modern times, the bullying would be much more cyber-based or sure. passive-aggressive, maybe. You know, just and, like, and it's stuff that's harder for an authority figure to be like, I saw you punching them. Don't do that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a lot right. more like behind closed doors, behind people's backs. It's hard to get like 100% clear evidence of something happening. Right. It's like, I, I can't be sure this happened because I didn't see it. It's not overt. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense. In the movie, Henry Bowers isn't so much a bully as a psychopath. <laughs> so he's he's playing the bully for us until he's 
being a psychopath. The bullying aspect is much better in the other two kind of henchmen type bullies. Yeah, just the name calling, the like kind of shoving stuff. And like assisting a meaner bully. Right. right? Just the kind of enabling. I think that stuff's a little bit more realistic Mm. in, in, in bullying. People who either stand by or passively help or encourage yeah you know there's all sorts of stats see we we have backgrounds in in working with children and talking about anti-bullying stuff (laughs) i know alex i took a course you and i we did a course about it all about (laughs) anti-bullying these bullies definitely thrived on when they could get the kids alone and oh my gosh maybe that's Mm. the same way pennywise operated because they could be more scared when it was yeah well and that's a there was a sophisticated layer on that point in this movie in the sense that henry's dad is also a bully right who bullies henry yes and he's got that line, you know, show him some real fear. He's a he's a paper man or yeah, whatever it is. And it's like watch how fast a paper man crumbles. Exactly, and, and so it it shows the kind of like cyclical nature of bad social interaction, right? From yeah. parent to child, and how Henry is clearly quite insecure and and easily scared. And you can see that this is how he projects it into the world. So yeah, it was a, it was a good. I liked how the movie did all of the bullying stuff. I thought it was really good from yeah. a psychological standpoint, you know. It was good. And it did mirror because when the kids stood up to the bullies and had the rock war, <laughs> where they just stand on either side of a river and throw rocks at each other. It's a classic stoning. <laughs> so, yeah. They, they kind of get the upper hand on the bullies because, you know, they're all together and they're not afraid. And they're all like, it's not you know the the answer to stopping bullying is not more violence kids we're not putting that message out in the world but is very much they stood up to their bully and that had been a very common you know air quotes solution of to bullying is like well just just stand up to them and they'll you'll take their power away and show them they're not afraid and they won't pick on you i heard that so many times well this is just a different way to make the same point you just made about pennywise but that's just thematic foreshadowing to pennywise yeah Mm -hmm. right i'm standing up to him as a bully Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, we, when we get introduced to Derry as a town, we, we kind of find out that kids are missing all the time, and there's a new kid missing every couple months. Yeah, and yeah. everyone's just like, eh, eh, it happens. Uh, a new kid got missing? Well, we can't possibly put up two missing kids posters, so we'll just put this new one up <laughs> over the old one. Right. What? <laughs> we only care about the most recent missing kid. The most the recently missing kid. And then if that one gets solved, we'll take it off. And You know what? It's because need... eventually you're just going to get abduction fatigue. you know oh another missing kid how can i possibly care no i get it dairy (laughs) you know a little bit of side note but people that get annoyed at amber alerts like what's wrong with you right (laughs) like oh i'm so inconvenienced that my phone woke me up at three in the morning because a child is missing or abducted come on everyone settle that what if you're scared of the color yellow then don't look at me (laughs) there's (laughs) a good one You know, let's talk about Pennywise a little bit. Mm. I, I, we're feel, I feel a little bit scattershot. We don't really know how to attack this movie, but that's okay. I kind of want to talk about Pennywise because he. I have some questions about him and the spirit or presence of it. And if I understand right, it was not always a clown because if it was back in the fur trapping days of yore when Maine was first settled and there's some spirit or whatever, I doubt it would be a circus clown. Because I, I feel like that wouldn't have been a thing in the 1600s. Maybe it was the Vivich. I don't know. <laughs> well, 
I learned this from doing our episode The Stand because David pointed out apparently the entire Stephen King universe is connected. Yeah, yes, through uh, the Dark, Dark Tower stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The SKLU Stephen King Literary Universe. Ah, the clue. The clue. <laughs> I had no clue about that. <laughs> yeah, I think Pennywise or it is an entity from a different dimension or or parallel universe that is kind of i don't even know the right word demonic maybe or a presence I, I remember reading about it briefly and none of this is explained in the in this first movie this is purely just what i know about the book there was also another spirit entity that manifests as a turtle yeah i yeah. heard about and, this and, turtle, and that turtle right. is connected with the dark tower well that's why the turtle is referenced twice in this movie i bet Right? There's, a the, there's a turtle they see in the quarry, and then also um, when Bill is having his scare time. Uh, scare time, he's holding a Lego turtle. Right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was... I, yeah. I remember hearing yeah. about this mystical turtle creature that yeah. is benevolent to its malevolence. Mm. Yeah, and they learn how to kill it based off of communicating with this turtle turtle. Yeah. So oh, cool. I mean, I guess they took it out because the turtle was just like, I don't know, hit it a bunch, I guess. Well, actually, I don't remember if they do explore it in chapter two. I actually don't remember very much about chapter two. Well, we'll see it. Yeah, but we'll, we'll talk about it next week. episode. So yeah, I think, I can't remember how long it has been on Earth, but yeah, it's probably just taken the form of, of things. And it has just realized that most people seem to react in a fearful manner to Pennywise. Or at least Pennywise can be initially trusted and then whatever process it's used to determine that. Right. People will be scared. Maybe of it. back in revolutionary times, it was the tyrant King George the Third. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes, perhaps. <laughs> so I think he's texting. And us. in the in the miniseries at the end when they fight it, it's like this weird spider. It's thing. like a big weird. Yeah, and so. he kind of gets big weird spidery crab legs at the end of this movie a little bit. But I want to know is sort of what what kind of powers does it have? Because he can sort of seem to hypnotize people and 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 give them this logic obliterating, you know spell that he puts them under where they'll follow you know they're going into a house where it's explicitly like okay pennywise lives here it's really scary make sure you don't split up hang on there's a voice of somebody calling in five hallways down i'm gonna go check it out by myself and so i wonder if there is some power that it has to separate people in that sort of way because i have a hard time suspending my logic of of thinking why would you go off by yourself if you know it's dangerous why would you just abandon this logic and go there and and it can't just be because the movie plot says we need to we need to separate the characters at this point i just that's something that bumps me in horror movies is when someone's like oh this is a clearly dangerous situation off i go you know what pennywise probably just sprayed some he got his hands on mystic air into the room and eddie's like oh i better go here instead we should split up he got got his hands on some of that cabin in the woods mist yeah Yeah, what do you, I, I mean, what do you think? Oh, okay, so obviously, I think Pennywise has the power to shapeshift, right? Right. And manifest in different things. I think very clearly Pennywise has the ability to, you know, maybe not fully take control, but maybe hypnotize someone as we see him or Penny It do that with Henry through the TV and got Henry to kill his father. Right. And I think it's just like, Maybe that's kind of the scary part of what Stephen King was trying to do is just like, is it, it can do. Because it's undefined, that is the scary part? Yeah. Hmm. I don't hate that explanation. What do you two think? What do, what do, I asked the question, so what do you, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do I think Pennywise is? What do you think Pennywise's power set is? Shape shifting. Yeah. Lots of teeth. Juggling, probably. I think Pennywise is a little less strong than he appears to be. And so. As is everything we're afraid of. Right. 
And so I think he's got to manipulate fear and manipulate presence. And in that sense, he's kind of like a good, he's like propaganda, right? Like he's, he, he shows himself really big, but you know, seven kids with some like neighborhood <laughs> projectiles and, and sticks can beat them. It's true. If they're not scared of him. So I think Pennywise is a very good symbol for for real life stuff and a decent to mediocre actual <laughs> monster. Sure. <laughs> like I think as an actual monster, it's not that impressive. Right. So I think the point of him is is more that kind of like ethereal stuff, mm. the bullying stuff. Again, like you just I sort do- of so is fear a little bit. Like I I maybe this is a controversial statement. I don't think Stephen King is ever writing about supernatural stuff. I think he, it's included to build to world build, but I think the point of his stories are the human aspects. Mm. And so, so it's I, just like if I write a scary thing, I can sneak in this real world stuff a little bit more. Yeah, I think I think that that's it's like almost I don't want to say it's a shtick because that seems to make it less than it is because I think it's well done narratively right but i bet you in his in his most honest interviews he'll say no these are stories about the human condition not about monsters depends did he did he write it in his crazy coke field days or maybe was this when he got sober yeah i mean this is my interpretive layer on his body of work which is bigger than it right but like just my knowledge of having seen the outsider and and castle rock and uh red the stand now and seen stand by me and a few others carrie yeah carrie the shining the supernatural elements aren't red herrings because they are canonically real in the stories but i don't think like what would be a good comparison like um green herring <laughs> yeah yeah but like <laughs> other movies where it seems like it's about something but it's really actually about something else the whole time it's it happens like, a lot in sci-fi yeah exactly so i guess what i'm saying is i don't even know how much it's it's obviously fun for us to like evaluate what is Pennywise as a monster, right? Yeah. But if I don't, I just don't think Stephen King, <laughs> I guess I'll put it this blindly. I don't know. I don't think Stephen King cares that much about what Pennywise is as a monster. Mm. I think he okay. cares what he is as a symbol. And the fact that you can write it secondary, it's like a side quest. <laughs> the uh, Dark Tower horror supernatural stuff is to me is Stephen King's side quest. His main quest is illuminating ugly things of the human condition to improve them Hmm. so i don't exactly know how to conceive of pennywise as a monster yeah is what my (laughs) long-winded verbose answer is well because yeah that's so interesting because he he appears to the kids not even as something benign at first the only time it's even sort of hinted at that is when he's when he sees georgie to get georgie and that's still not benign because it's an unlikely scenario where you'd see a clown (laughs) in a sewer and, and you know maybe he's preying on georgie's ignorance as a child by saying oh the storm swept my whole circus down here and everything's down here and and kind of controlling that but i, I like c- a predator yeah right like playing on a kid's weakness and fear and like good manners even yeah right but pennywise didn't do that with the other kids it wasn't like the flute lady in stanley's fear appeared normal and then morphed when he maybe... was drawn in it wasn't like the leper was a healthy person at first and then rotted in front of Eddie to freak him out. It was scary from initial meeting. Maybe maybe it's because they're a bit older than Georgie and not as innocent. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah. 
Like, okay. I think developmentally, you're going to use different tactics on a six-year-old than you could on a 12 or 13-year-old. Fair enough. Fair, fair, fair enough. <laughs> Turn the page Next page, baby. Next page. I think I'll give, like, a brief plot summary. We get introduced to the characters, and we get introduced to the 52 bullies. 52 minutes in a brief plot summary. <laughs> and Christ. essentially, each character is given their own isolated scare by Pennywise. All the characters eventually meet up based off of a common real enemy being Henry the bully. And then right. weird stuff happens to all of them, and the whole time Bill is still trying to figure out what happened to Georgie. And they come to the conclusion, based off of Ben's research, that bad things happen in Derry every 27 years, that it is preying on the town, and they're pretty sure that it is what caused Georgie to disappear. Mm. So they go to the common denominator, which is the well house. They fight Pennywise the first time, and they injure Pennywise, and Pennywise slinks off back into away. the yep. like down the well into the sewers, and they kind of disperse because because they don't want to deal with this anymore. And then it, with Beverly, she ends up getting kidnapped by Pennywise, and because she's the kind of rallying force the first time, yeah, she's the one that gets them to stand up against him the first time, and so yeah. he tries to take her out of the game. Bill finds out she gets kidnapped and gathers all his friends, and they all, you know with the power of friendship will go down into the house and the whole time there's the subplot of henry trying to chase after them and kill them yeah and <laughs> they they get down to the sewer and they find pennywise's lair which is essentially where all you find that's where all the disappeared children are they're all suspended bodies in this giant sewer cavern kind of thing giant sewer garbage yeah. pile just and like they, everyone has it they confront pennywise and they defeat it they leave and then they make a blood pack that, you know, we know it comes out every 27 years. If it comes back again, we promise we'll come back and finish the job. That's a very bare bones plot rundown. I think in the intrigue of this movie and the story lies within how the characters interact with each other and the development of their characters. With some very fun 80s cultural motifs. Some yeah, very funny. A lot of like the, like the theater. New Kids on the Block. Batman. Song Bust a Move is in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, just the arcade that Richie's in. Yeah. yeah. Playing Street Fighter. Yeah. Even just <laughs> Richie being Finn Wolfhard, who's in Stranger Things with all the other 80s motifs, is mm-hmm. just a meta, funny, cultural nod it's and a wink. Like, yeah. Remember the 80s? Well, this kid was in a show that was about the 80s, and now he's back in another sh- movie about the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> he was born, what, 14 years after the 80s ended? <laughs> If then okay, I think I think it'd be worth discussing each character kind of sure because I think I think like e- some characters will have <laughs> more specific if we talk about Bev we can talk about her relationship sure with her yeah let's do that let's do that rundown so we talk about Bill okay I'm gonna talk about my least favorite character which was Richie I know I know going in you're like Richie and Richie and Eddie are funny but just there are so many times where I was just like shut the fuck up Richie which is I think on purpose because. He uses humor to deflect and he makes jokes. And even at some point, the characters are like, Richie, it's enough with the jokes. But, oh my God, it was just, there's just too much, too much jokes. And I, I didn't like this type of, you know, jabbering moron when I was little. And it just really rubbed me the wrong way was was Richie's jokes and just being overly crude. So how do you enjoy like a, being on a podcast with two of them? Because <laughs> <laughs> I have to be the jabbering moron. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Maybe you hate yourself the most. Mm. But no, I just, I found him very irritating. I found him very grating the whole time. I found him to be the kind of friend that you hate, but will end up being your closest friend. 
Mm, like he'll he will literally to borrow another Stephen King novel, Stand by You. <laughs> yeah. A really nice vulnerable part of his character was when, you know, close to the end when Stanley gets separated from everybody mm. and his little rabbi painting lady is literally sucking his face or eating his face off and they rescue Stanley and Richie's like hugging him and it's like, yeah, he's like so sorry, him, yeah. like we'll never leave you, all that. And I, I think it's like that little that little scene showed me the humanity behind Richie is like, oh, he's not just the foul mouth. He's the he's the jokester. He's the one that doesn't ever take anything seriously. But deep down inside, he's got a heart of gold, and he really does care about his friends. And he just doesn't want to let it out for fear of reprisal or whatever. And he's trying to be extra macho. Yeah, and yeah, you know what? Just his banter with Eddie is is like whether it's irritating or not, it's just so funny. It's so funny. Well, at that age, kids are often playing a role. That's true, right? I think Richie sees himself as the comedian or the jokester and that's kind of how he stands out from because other than his jokes i mean in a sense everyone else kind of brings something to the table ben is well researched bill is a good leader stanley seems to be kind of common sense and like thoughtful about things and mike has a gun yeah mike has a gun (laughs) i don't know exactly what eddie brings other than he has medical knowledge yeah Yeah, he was the one that patched up ben yeah, there you go. Whereas, like, what's Richie going to bring? I think it's him. Yeah, he's, he, can, he can be a little bit annoying, but I, I don't know. I thought it was... Even though Richie's not as evil as Cartman and Eddie's not as stupid <laughs> as Butters, that's the relationship it reminded me of the most. Okay. It's the Cartman yeah. and Butters relationship in South Park. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess when you're in junior high, you're you're testing those limits. You know, you're you're learning the swear words that you've you've heard when you're younger and now you're trying them out for the first time so you just don't have any filter at all and you sort of learn how to be in society so i mean finn wolfhard did a good job again of acting a role that irritated me i I won't say that i dislike finn wolfhard as a character actor or anything because i find that the stuff i've seen him in he does does a good job which is this movie and stranger things (laughs) but just the character of richie got on my nerves and I was with the other characters who were just like, enough, Richie. It's not time for jokes anymore. So, well done to Finn Wolfhard. Hello, team. Billy jumping in here just before we talk about this next section of the podcast. This is one where there's an additional trigger warning. We are talking about Beverly's role in this movie, and there is quite a little bit of talk of sexual assault. So, If you don't want to listen to that, go ahead and skip ahead about three to four minutes and you should be all good. But if you do continue, just know that we're going to be talking about it. Okay, back to the show. Yeah. I want to talk about Beverly as well. Mm -hmm. The only girl in the group and her fear specifically being the bathroom full of hair that she's cut off and blood everywhere. And her very, 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 very unhealthy and inappropriate relationship with her father was, without a doubt, the most disturbing part of this movie for me. Just because she's she's so young, she's such, you know, she's just such a little baby, and she has this reputation of her being this big sleep around, you know, slut for whatever reason. And she's just so, so you know, afraid to grow up because her dad is abusive and explicitly like sexually assaulting her. And it really, it just, that, that, that really bummed me out. 
that I think her biggest fear was, you know, growing up and becoming a woman in a way, because then she wasn't safe anymore. And that really freaked me out. Not to get too serious for a minute. Yeah, well, this was definitely one of those real life horror things that I think... It just happens so many times to, like, girls who, as soon as they, they develop, as soon as they have their period, it's like, oh, you're a woman now, and now the world can be very horrible to you. And so that part freaked me out. Yeah, I mean, her dad is a total creep. And, well, he's more than a creep. He's probably, a, like, a sexual assaulter. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't think there's any explicit sexual assault. There's no, it's, no. But it's gonna, like, you can tell it exists in this house. He's just very touchy. He's The way he, like, grabs her hand just mm-hmm. makes my skin crawl. Yeah, I mean, it's her journey is very much that puberty, girl to woman, the fear of that especially with how much the body changes at that time, Mm. especially for girls and just having no one to support her through that. You know, it's just more of that like not present adult to help you through hard times. Like we don't see Mm -hmm. Beverly's mom anywhere. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and sex ed in the eighties was not (laughs) great. (laughs) Yeah. And so you're getting all of the very common bullying often. I mean, I don't know as much anymore, but of girls calling other girls sluts or whores or stuff like that. Like the, the kind of ways that girls can be bullies to each other is very emotionally manipulative in that sense and, and sex based often. And And it's so unfair because if you're a teenage girl, if you have sex with anybody, you're a slut. And if you don't have sex with anyone, you're a frigid, you know, uptight person. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just not fair. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not different. fair. But Men, it's, be better. There is some relief for some girls in that kind of way of just boys her age who are nice. The the nice guys, I don't know. I don't mean like that. Like Not boy, nice guys TM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I had, a, I had a bunch of friends when I was growing up and in my teenage years who were girls who just didn't have any, many girlfriends. And for one reason or another, they just felt like they got along with guys better. And so it was nice at least, I mean, it was nice for all seven of the kids, but I think the group really helped Beverly mm, in, in, so. in, in her through. And it's just, it's nice to at least, it's nice for Stephen King to at least paint some heroes <laughs> in yeah. his stories, because it feels like there's just so many shitty villains. Yeah. And I feel like she, one of her great strengths in this movie was her ability to bring people together. Because yeah. I think she was the one who was telling the group when they saw Mike's bike and Henry's car on the side of the road. It's like, well, we have to help him. Yeah, we have to we have yeah. to help him. And then she I also felt like, you know, that scene when they're in the quarry and they're jumping in, she kind of gets things started. She's, she's the one like, who does it first. Yeah. And then I don't know <laughs> that that scene when they get out afterwards and she's you know sunbathing drying off yeah and like all the boys are just like they're just being teens yeah i i that scene was so brilliantly done because they're all eyeing her because you know they're going through their own changes and they they see that she's going through changes and then when she looks over they're all like oh Uh, uh, like uh, like they, they they know that they should be giving her her dignity but they're also curious and i think it was like a fun scene to kind of explore it was a perfect encapsulation of the budding interest in other people romantically yeah and and sexually or sexually or in a physical attractive manner like you know i mean i won't go into too many details but i do remember being 13 Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and it's just like there's a sincere curiosity that arises in people at that age and yeah you're like wow like it it, it was just uh, and i guess i really liked how they 
had the boys be realistic in the sense that they're going to look, but then also try to be polite and like know that they're not they supposed weren't to forward, stare. They weren't creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they weren't, weren't creepy about it. As bad. soon as they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, like you're a per- you are a person and we care about you as a person and that's actually more important and we'll move on from that mm-hmm. standpoint. But yeah, I think, Billy, your point is really well made. Like her story, it's hard to compare tragedy, you yeah. know, but hers was so unique because she was the only girl Yeah, that no no mother figure period starting becoming a woman terrible dad who abuses her and just nothing to help her through that really yeah and i mean i feel i feel like personally for me it hits on a closer level as a person who is going through a second puberty uh, after the first one didn't take um (laughs) and sort of having this realization and it has been a, a harsh education of what happens to girls as they grow up and as they develop and how creepy the world, the parts of the world can be and having been shielded from that for 30 years behind this male privilege that I was given, never really quite fit into, but that was what I was given. And as I've been transitioning, seeing the creepy guys that just appear out of the woodwork, woodwork as soon as you do anything, you go online, you post a picture, you exist in the world and suddenly you get, cat called when before you didn't it's just it's just weird and so i i felt like i really resonated with beverly Mm. on a a very very personal level for me so i'm so glad beverly managed to make it to the end of the movie (laughs) yeah and then she and she kicked ass she fucking stabbed pennywise right through the head and she was kind of caught in a i wouldn't say love triangle it was more like a love line (laughs) she was a a love angle is what it was really a love v (laughs) Yeah, so Ben obviously had lots of feelings for her. Because she was nice to him. Yeah. Because she, she was just a nice person. She was so nice. Yeah, brought people together. Yeah. I mean, for a second on Ben there, like, I relate to that, though. It's so easy, especially as a young person, to interpret kindness for interest. Yeah. Or kindness mm-hmm. for attraction. Mm-hmm. And that's just a hard lesson, especially for young boys, I think, to... That's super important. <laughs> like, Yeah, but, like, also just... Yeah, it's important to learn, obviously, but... It, it's very emotionally hard. You know, it's just... Can be emotionally confusing as well. Yeah, emotionally confusing and like... Absolutely. Little things that, that just make you think that someone else is interested in you because you've built it up in your head in some mm. fashion. And especially if no one else has been nice to you, like no one else has been nice to Ben. So he's looking for more because of that, you know? And it's like, that's an, such an interesting real life dilemma to be worked on and, and overcome. Mm-hmm. You I know? like that Ben, when Ben and Beverly met, they were both kind of wary of the other. Ben is obviously being picked on because he's the new kid. So he sees this girl come up to him and he's like, okay, what fresh hell is this? And Beverly is always getting picked on. And so she sees Ben, or she sees Ben with his bike and trying to like get his diorama that was never going to survive. There's no chance, but they're both kind of like, you know, you know, Beverly thinks Ben is going to, make fun of her or he's blocking her path purposely you know she says to him i don't know what the password is just let me buy and ben is just listening to new kids on the block and then he drops all his stuff he's he's trying to pick up his diorama and his bike falls over awkward and so they they both entered into their relationship or their friendship thinking the other person was going to be mean to them and then they were both mutually kind and it was great and then she does him a solid where she closes the door to his bedroom and sees he's got a big new kids on the block poster. And before any of the other boys who are distracted by all the dairy history on the walls, before any of them can turn around to notice it, she just 
slides the door back open and doesn't, you know, because she knows that the other kids will make fun of Ben for liking new kids on the block. And she was the only one that signed his yearbook as well. Yeah. That was really nice. With two hearts. Good for you, Ben. I guess this would be a good transition to Ben. Yeah, we can talk about Ben. Yeah. New kid. I didn't get that why he was a new kid in town. I guess it doesn't really matter, but I wonder if he was a, I think, a military brat type yeah. of kid. Well, it's it's kind of like assumed that he moves a lot because he's like, every time I move to a new town, I, I, I like to research you know the history of the town and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Because he doesn't have any friends, so he hangs out at the library. What, on purpose? Yeah, the library rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the librarian is like, boy should be outside during summertime. <laughs> Shut up, Laney. Yeah, it's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I mean, I liked I liked this side of Ben in the sense that as a as a storytelling and, and even character study, it, he shows the value of actually learning things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the value of learning more about the world directly around your senses. Yeah, and he you learns know? about the town. He gives he gives the people who were born and raised in Derry information about the town that they exactly. had no... And it's information that Ben being a purveyor of objective knowledge, there's this great line from the German poet Goethe who wrote Faust who said, whoever cannot take advantage of 3,000 years of history is living hand to mouth. Mm. And Ben represents the person who isn't living hand to mouth in Derry. Right. That's kind of what I liked about Ben. Yeah. I like Ben. I like that he was... The, the misfit among misfits, but very quickly ingratiates himself with it through the, the fact that they literally saved his life mm-hmm. or at least stopped him from bleeding all over the place because he got carved up in the tummy tum by Henry and that he, you know, he became a good, a good buddy. And it was kind of, again, kind of the Stephen King of it being this sort of magical coalescing friendship that happens of a summer you know, the special kind of summertime gang or bond that you get. And then the movie ends where it's September. They're all either going back to school or moving or doing da 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 and going their separate ways. But it's, it's a very sort of encapsulation of this very crystalline summer experience that could only happen one summer when they all became friends. Any more on Ben? Any Anything else to add, Alex? Do you have any Ben? Yeah, I, I like Ben. I just... I found him very relatable in the way that he w- he thought Beverly was interested in him. So he wrote her a very nice poem. Yeah. January Ambers. Eddie, I liked his his verbosity mm-hmm. and often incorrect verbosity because he wanted to appear smarter than he was mm-hmm. or the smartest in the room. Most specifically when he find or when Greta in the in the pharmacy tells him, "Oh, you know, all your pills are placebos. Your mom doesn't actually want to help you." And then he gets mad at her. He's like, "You're just giving me gazebos, mom." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I felt. I guess if there was a like a, a good way to say it about Eddie, he's ignorant sincerity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's very much. He seems like he's actually worried about the things that he says he's worried about, <laughs> but he also doesn't know anything about the things he's yeah. worried about. He's just this vague specter of something that's scary, which is funny why his big fear is lepers, Mm -hmm. because I feel like there was a time in the 80s when leprosy, maybe it was because there was a leper colony in Hawaii for a long time, and maybe he would have heard about that. Uh, I thought he was scared of leopards. No, no, lepers. (laughs) Oh, okay. Are you talking about leopards? Leopards. Ah. (laughs) Sorry, I'll spot it better next time. (laughs) He's... Scared of Leonardo DiCaprio, oh. as are we all. Sure. <laughs> His sort of hypochondria in that that sort of sense that you only get when you're kids, 
of being scared of something, John Mulaney actually has a really great comedy bit where he goes, you know, when I was a little kid, I was way more prepared to deal with quicksand than I had any right to be. It's a thing that you're scared of and could in Israel and does exist mm-hmm. that you're worried about, but there's no chance you're going to run into quicksand yeah. in suburban yeah. Maine, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> And so, and it's always in those adventure movies from the '80s, anyway, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like more in the culture. Yeah, yeah, Indiana Jones and, mm-hmm. and Princess Bride and those yeah. types of films. But to to the point of Eddie, you definitely sense that he consumed some sort of culture that scared him, and now he sort of sees danger everywhere. Mm-hmm. Whether it's every plant is poison ivy, or anytime you bleed, you're gonna get AIDS. Or whatever, you Yeah, know. the 2020 version of Eddie would be the kid that looks at every single tweet headline and is like, this is terrifying. Yeah. And like tells his friends, have you heard about these crazy hornets that carry corona? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He would be, he, he's so ripe for conspiracy theory. He would, he would either be <laughs> yeah. grow up into the person who ha- is very, very diligent and researched everything super scientifically, or he believes in the Facebook mm-hmm. conspiracy theories and how 5G is giving everyone coronavirus. It's not, by the way. That's a myth. And I'll stay it on this podcast. Yeah. I think slight spoilers, but I, if I remember correctly, for It Part 2, he becomes a insurance risk analysis or something. I think that's right. Analyzer or something okay, like that. Okay, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, that's, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, I, I think, even though I think Rick, Richie was funny, I found Eddie more funny because his jokes weren't... They weren't they, they weren't mean-spirited. Yeah. And they weren't, they weren't intended at anyone's expense. I think that's maybe what bumped me about Richie, too, was he was mean in his humor. Mm-hmm. And I really dislike humor that punches down. Yeah. Which that seemed like Richie was always just. Sure. And and maybe, you know, he was not very high on the rungs of the social ladder in his own mm-hmm. estimation. So punching down is an easy game. Right. As it is for everyone. But I yeah, I don't like I don't like comedy that. Punches no, down. I didn't like that. What I did like about Richie's humor was the crudeness. Because mm-hmm. I'm a Philistine? No. Because, because honestly, <laughs> like... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> What's with all the pedantism? Oh, Pedantery. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it's because crude, crude humor was my form of rebellion. Right. That was the sure. kind of thing I wasn't allowed to do or say or hear, right? And so when you have this, especially as a young person, what you feel is like an arbitrary rule over you of something that isn't actually that bad. So I... I related to his crude humor because that's how I felt like I escaped clutches of dogma and ideology in my own life. Right. At one point you, because... You, you said that going to hockey was... Well, yeah, it was eye-opening at first. Yeah. But like, it's not... See, it's not crudeness for its own sake. It's crudeness done well. That beaver joke was hilarious that he made <laughs> because it it's a pun, but it's also like just yeah. his manner is like, am I right, boys? Am I yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. A little self-fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just... So this is why, like, South Park, super bad role models, like, Judd Apatow style of humor has always really appealed to me. American Pie, because that was the exact kind of censorship I was facing in my life growing up. Of course, So yeah. it's the one you know that you want to... That's my fuck you to the man kind wow, of thing. We are was, was deep on nothing to fear was, this It was crudeness, right? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. that's what Richie appealed to me. Okay, yeah. I can not, totally see not that. Not the punching down part, just the specifically like sex fuck, you know, <laughs> sex, <laughs> sex fuck. fuck. Oh, yeah. That was all, all the sex fuck out there was really funny to me. <laughs> Ah, sex fuck. (laughs) That's a good album, Nick.
We're even bad today. Hey, we're the sex fucks. We're here to fuck you up. Yeah, that sounds like it would be in a really bad movie where they're like, we need a rebellious teen, and we can swear as much as we want. What's their band going to be? I don't know, sex fuck. <laughs> Gold. Nailed it. Yeah, so that. All right, stay tuned at the end of this episode for Sex Fucks debut album. (laughs) I love flowers and bees and birds and all the things. (laughs) Sex Fucks! Oh, we have to pay for that now. (laughs) It's okay, it's my band. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, It feels good to laugh. Yes. Mm -hmm. Then we, we can talk about Stanley. Okay, but he didn't really have a ton to do in this movie. No, he was the most rational one, I think. He was a more introverted neurotic, right? Yeah. Like Eddie's an extroverted neurotic. Mm, yeah, and, that's a good. And, way to put and it. Stanley was an introverted neurotic. Like he didn't want to do anything. No, <laughs> he wanted to keep watch. He wanted to stay out of it. He, yeah, he was very much a worrier. I would say. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and knowing about his arc in the second one, I think there might be more interesting things to talk about in the second movie in regards mm. to his character because i think it I will... he, he's a lot more he's he has a lot more to do with the plot in the second one stay tuned yeah. stanley's character development for next week's episode i i can relate to his his very real fear of having to public speak at a young age is you know he's getting ready for the bar mitzvah he's got to read from the torah and that was that would have been weighing on his mind and i think that came across in his sort of quiet sort of contemplativeness a bit more than, like, yeah, Mike's overt spraying of, oh, my God, this and this and this and this. So I can't wait to kind of get to know Stanley a little bit next epi. There's no Stanley's Yelnat spelled backwards. Yeah, because I read the book Holes like everybody else did. <laughs> Kissing Kate Barlow. Kissing Kate Barlow. Right. Good movie, though. Um, and then we've got Mike. Mike, yeah. We've got Mike, who is, uh, again, the only black character we see. In this and movie. the only homeschooled it, one. And the only homeschooled one. Although we do see his grandfather and the farmhands, which seems to be all family, black-owned business. But yeah, Mike is definitely the outsider of outsiders mm-hmm. in this because he is not only a visible minority, but also homeschooled. Like he's definitely winning the Misfit Olympics here. <laughs> in this and, town. and like these kids are giving him a run for his money, but Mike definitely is the winner. And we see you know him dealing with a very, very real present racism problem in the fact that henry literally wishes he wasn't in town and was willing to get rid of him by any means and wishes that he was the one that, that but killed his parents house down. yeah it's are, like that are we st- are we to intuit racism because i don't think henry said anything explicitly racist i mean it's pretty racist yeah but i i agree with you except for the fact that henry's a psychopath okay so i wonder to what extent Henry, like I'm not here. I'm not going to sit here and say Henry wasn't motivated by a racist <laughs> yeah. proclivity, but because he's so fucking crazy and so violent, it wasn't obvious to me that there was an additional layer of racial animus. So, so in his, I kind of got the hint that. Sorry, Alex, I cut you off, but you you go ahead. Yeah. So my my pickup of the racism, whether it was subtle or not, or intended or not, is that. When Henry was bullying every other kid, he wanted to beat them up. He wanted to hurt them. Mm. And when he was bullying Mike, he's like, get out of my town. I don't want you here. And that Mm. difference in his animosity towards Mike 
Mike? Mike? Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Mike. That's what was for me. I was like, okay. Fair like, point. Like, Fair point. It's not explicit, but it's pretty, pretty But a lot well of racism implied. isn't. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I kind of got the idea that the house fire was maybe arson? racially motivated mm-hmm. and arse, arson. And they, I mean, they didn't really touch on it, but one of the, I guess one of the Pennywise events was the Black Spot club that got mm, right, burned down right. or, or attacked or bombed or whatever and that was you know it said it was by those mean cults or something that mean white group or something like they didn't oh, yeah, say yeah, the yeah. kkk right. they didn't make it be those mm. specific things but i kind of was okay you know this is you know maine which is, tends to be pretty totally pretty white and there's definitely a lot of yeah and then yeah also i don't know like probably like over analyzing it but at the very beginning when mike is supposed to be the one executing the sheep in the slaughterhouse and he can't he, he can't, can't pull do, the trigger yeah. he can't pull the trigger and his grandpa is annoyed takes it away from him and does it himself is like listen mike when we watched it we're like well that's not very good parenting but his grandpa was like you're either going to be in there or out here and if you don't decide for yourself someone will decide for you before you realize it it's and probably- if someone decides for you you're inside the pen mm. yeah and it's kind of like grandpa's like i know what the world's about i know sure. how people treat us yeah that makes sense so you need to be able to stand up for yourself and be able to do tough things in yeah. order to survive in this world yeah no i think you're right on all that it's just since mike is probably the least developed of the seven kids like or he's on screen the least for stanley being as sure sure stanley but but i think mike is on screen the least Mm. out of the seven of them and so i just think it's an underdeveloped storyline as well right we just get bits and pieces as opposed to a more coherent narrative of mike's life i feel like there's probably a a version of the screenplay or a draft of the script where mike had more to do and Mm -hmm. had more stuff on screen that they maybe cut for time which is unfortunate because yeah i feel like his character was more fleshed out in the book like, I f- that's totally what I, I was thinking about watching the movie. like, mm, I bet you this character had, like, a bigger presence in the book yeah. than he does in this movie because, you know, the book can take 40 hours and it's fine. <laughs> Readers aren't going to care about that. But if the movie's 40 hours, everyone's going to care about that, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you got to do it as a yeah. TV, like yeah. a limited series. But I related to the homeschool aspect. Yeah. Because I was homeschooled, too, for a while. And it's like, yeah, like, it's tough. The homeschool kid. You definitely get that stigma a little bit from the less thoughtful. And it's every if anyone's competing for anything in dairy, it's less thoughtful. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is working real hard to be less thoughtful than their neighbors. They had their less thoughtful pageant. I think that leaves Bill. Oh yeah, Bill. Bill's our last one, right? Kind of the leader and the the driving force because his brother becomes one of the kids that goes missing. And even though they mention a couple of the other ones, they mention Emily Rant Emily Bessem or something? Doesn't matter. That's Betty. Betty. Betty right, Ripsum. There you go. That'd be like such an unfortunate name if she had IBS or something. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> right? Or just farted all the... Betty Ripsum. Here oh, we go. Oh, Betty. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's the leader. Externally, he's the least confident one, I would argue, because of the stutter and because he seems so unsure. But I think right away, at the very start of the movie, you see he's got leadership qualities and that he is willing to stand up for his friends because at, right at the start of the movie when school's over and Henry's doing his bullying thing, he, he says something to... Yeah, he's like, get out of here, Hauser. Or Bow- Bowers, like, like... Bowers, right. Yeah, like... I like, don't know anybody's name in like, any movie. Patrick Wilson is in this somehow? <laughs> and <laughs> No, Patrick Hockstetter. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, I, I, I think he was just... He's like a natural-born leader and he's very caring and 
obviously he had a great relationship with his brother and that mm. that's what makes him feel so guilty about it all because he probably really did want to be outside playing with georgie but he he was sick right? he was sick yeah yeah and well, he's just a good character good guy yeah bill was good and the fact that when he was passionate about something his stutter went away you know when he's talking about the rise up to beat it and to get rid of everything he wasn't stuttering mm -hmm. but when he had to deal with in encountering the bully or, or talking to mm. beverly he was stuttering all over the place and i like that even at the end when they're facing down pennywise and pennywise is on the ropes as it were getting close to being beaten pennywise tries to mock him by stuttering and you could tell as an audience that this this clown is clutching at straws and is just looking for anything to try to get mm -hmm. another thing and just you know similar to when if you're I don't know, beating your bully, they'll lash out in any way they think can mm -hmm. get there. But Bill, like, stop caring Nice about Velcro. It. Don't know how to tie your shoes. <laughs> oh, burn. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then I, I, I saw Bill. He's very noble, a noble character. Mm -hmm. Like, at the end when Pennywise had him, he was, just give me Bill and the rest of you can oh, leave yeah. and live happy lives. But Bill's like, yes, go. Like, get out of here. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to sacrifice myself yeah. for the rest of you. Yeah, I had, I had, I like Bill. That two observations, I'd say thinking about him is that he kind of exemplified to me the fact that your heroic characters are not always your most interesting ones sure so like i like frodo he's not my favorite hobbit he's not the most interesting <laughs> hobbit no i no. like harry but he's not the most interesting hogwarts student no he sucks <laughs> right maybe luke skywalker is an exception because <laughs> i find him quite interesting but i just think that there is a type of hero that is common across storytelling that you cheer for and you think is noble and has great at attributes but you don't know if they'd be the most fun at a party exactly mm. right like they're almost too stoic i like leonardo but he's not my favorite ninja turtle oh, <laughs> leonardo is my favorite ninja that turtle. kind of but, thing but it also reminds me of just going back to the stand for a second Stu mm. redmond yeah is kind of a boring yeah. protagonist but he is the yeah. leader yeah. yeah so that's not a knock against bill as much as it is observation yeah an observation yeah and then the other one though i my favorite bill moment in this movie was actually at the end when he killed the georgie yeah. A version of Pennywise, right? Because it, you know, as a as the symbolic nature of that is being able to shed or destroy your childhood illusions or the illusions of something you want for something that is, right? Right? Like it's a very big growth moment for Bill. He, he wants nothing more than Georgie. Yeah, to be alive, like this but whole movie. What's not... his number one motivator? It's finding Georgie. Like yeah. he clearly loves Georgie, and so the moment he actually, as it were, has him back, he's he's gone through enough to know that this is a this is a fake elixir that he's getting right it's right. actually poison not the elixir of life that he was hoping for and so it's like that moment <laughs> in life where you can make a decision choose, that he did yeah. not choose poorly <laughs> no you you make a decision that is harder because it's better for your long term mm -hmm. you know and, and i thought that was a cool motif yeah well kind of wrapping up all the characters themselves and you know a big Stephen King theme in the loss of childhood innocence you can kind of pinpoint at each moment or each every single character in this movie had that loss of innocence so yeah so I'll kind of go down the list and do it so with Bill his loss of innocence was a death in the family sure the loss of Charlie Beverly's loss of innocence was getting her period yeah Ben's loss of innocence was... I had this in my mind. Let me... That's right. Uh, Ben's Ben's loss of innocence is realizing that just because someone is nice to you doesn't mean they 
like are interested you. in you in a romantic way. Yeah. Stanley, his loss of innocence is becoming a man because he just had his bar mitzvah, right? Literally, like, yeah. Yeah, literally becoming a man. Well, maybe not literally becoming a man, but figuratively becoming a man. Yeah, the, or religiously, yeah. in the eyes of your religion. Very clear demarcation of yeah. when manhood starts in yeah. that culture. Who else? Uh, we got Eddie. Eddie's loss of innocence is him finally understanding what his mother's doing to him and standing up against his mother, right? Like I the, don't see, okay. The time when you defy a parental authority figure, that's 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 a point in life where you lose yes. some of your innocence, okay. right? Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely w- he had a point where he realized his mom was fallible mm. and not correct about 100% of things 100% right. of the time. I don't know if I read into your reading of his mother was hurting him or harming him in a deliberate way i think she was just an overcautious parent and he kind of reflected that yeah. until he got to grow up a definitely bit. yeah that, that that's an explanation as well yeah i won't refute that or you could argue eddie's loss of innocence if you will is when he found out that there were placebos you mean gazebos yeah gazebos oh yeah right because, because that's a sure. that's a lie right he's been living a lie in a sense mm-hmm. and that's a big confrontation for a young person to realize that there's just there's some things that are lies? Yeah. Wait, what? Well, yeah, but like not just I tell you a lie, but I have been mentally operating under a lie for a long period of time. Sure. And that's kind of shattering in an identity sense almost. Mm. For, yeah, yeah, Right? Yeah. So Just learning that there's not what, it, what things are mm-hmm. is not what they seem. I like that, yeah. Mike's loss of innocence, I think this was the scene where he actually, it was his turn to execute the sheep and kill the sheep. Like you see him actually fire the gun. And I think, Obviously, that's very traumatizing to be have to kill an animal, but that's his step into losing that childhood innocence. His, I think his childhood he, innocence was lost when he kicks Henry down the well. Yeah, or you know when he lost his parents, or when he lost his parents. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a number of different ways. He's operating. Can Mike is remarkably well adjusted. Yeah, considering the things that have happened to yeah. him. Richie, Richie, and then I think Richie's loss of innocence. I think I had this in my brain, but I, let, let me think about it. Uh, like, Don't worry, I'll just edit this out too. When he's scared <laughs> too, or when he's not, when his bravado is not going to work, mm. right? There's something around him using his wit and his put downing put downs as a crutch for something superior, and when that kind of is shown to be an illusion in a bigger world with bigger dangers, mm. and he actually has to rely on more fundamental traits like friendship and loyalty and caring. I, I think that that's something that's pretty important to him mm, yeah. as a realization factor, right? Mm. And then also maybe getting into a, the fight with Bill where Bill punches him. This is, I, I assume they're very good friends, if not best friends. Yeah. And getting into your first major fight with someone that close to you, that's that, that's another that's kind huge, of... That's huge, yeah. Yeah. It was interesting for me to kind of see all the different growth of from like each that. character. That's and then, really good. And then you could argue even Henry, like... He was already not well-adjusted and probably not very innocent at all from the start of the movie, but really it kicks in really hard when he kills his dad. And before when he's going to shoot a cat. Yeah. I was not happy with that. Yeah. Cat does not die. Yeah, I mean, kind of building on that a bit more. He's mutilating Ben, but he's not killing Ben. He's about to shoot this cat, but doesn't shoot it. But then finally that one step to finally push him fully over the edge where he was hanging on by like a finger is when he kills his dad. And like, if he didn't get pushed down a well very shortly after, you know, that's the birth of a serial killer type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, this escalating behavior from mutilations to killing animals to once they start murdering, then yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I just I just thought the film did a really good job at telling stories on an individual level, on a micro level, and then on a bigger macro group level as well. Mm-hmm. Unlike how the group dynamic changes, and you know when kids grow up, like even that pact at the very end, the blood pact, the that blood they, pact, that's such a kid thing. Yeah, it's it's such a kid thing, and it's such a thing that I think kids kind of gravitate on this idea where like, oh, I'm friends with you, you're my best friend when I'm seven or eight, or even when we're graduating high school, when we're seventeen or eighteen, we're, we'll always be friends. We'll 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 stay together. We're gonna have a sisterhood of the traveling pants kind of thing. But the reality is. Your your friend groups are going to change. People are going to disperse. And who your best friend was when you were 15, you probably will never, ever talk to them again. It's unlike the, the, the cases where people are best friends from birth to life are very rare. Yeah. And then the exception that somewhat proves the rule. Mm. Well, and then obviously part two is going to refute that. But but I feel like they'll have they won't have been friends for the 27 years. Exactly. They're well, going to yeah, come exactly. back together. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's like the whole learning that friendships are somewhat locational based Mm -hmm. you know it's easier to maintain a friendship with somebody if you work with them but when you stop working with them if you didn't have something outside of that you know working relationship you don't talk to them anymore i experienced podcast i experienced that very heavily with living in residence yeah because living in residence at university the uh ease makes the fair weather friends it's it's fair weather all year round when you live in the same building yeah (laughs) it's the intent is living in the building with other students right so when you move out that you it's like who do you keep seeing? It's same thing of, for for yeah. marching band. You know, you're all stuck together all year. You make really good friendships on tour, and then you feel ah, we're gonna be so much friends. Yeah. we're gonna yeah, be yeah, friends yeah. forever. And here's a couple people that you hang out with, but you know, mm-hmm. after a year or two, you're not in the band. You're out of it. And then you're out of the band. On a very <laughs> personal level, us right? We Ooh. all used to work together. Yeah. And now none of us work together. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, it's it's. I think Stephen King and the filmmakers did a good job at exploring those kinds of friendship dynamics. Yeah, as a good piece on on high school friendships and summertime friendships, mm-hmm. plus a scary murder cl- clown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know we've been talking for a long time, but there was one other major thing I wanted to ask you two about that I yeah, think is relevant, it. and it's more. Don't worry, most of this stuff is getting cut. Yeah, yeah. This is actually <laughs> a twenty minute episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, obviously, the the main muscle of this movie are the characters and the feelings around what they're going through. But I I really loved, and and it it doesn't quite come as much through like a TV as a theater, but it still did. Like I thought this movie had great iconography, in the sense of the red balloons, yes, or Georgie's raincoat, yeah, or very... the the sailboat, even things like Eddie's asthma inhaler, just these little uh, the fanny pack, the the watch. I think we talked about it first in Poltergeist, just the props around the movie that add to the feel of it that no one even talks about, right? The light bulbs that look like eyes. Hmm. I thought there were so many evocative visuals in this movie that I really loved. So I don't know if any of that, were there any that you enjoyed that I didn't mention of those ones? The the color contrasts again, a lot of times in horror movies, it's a very drab background with a very bright, vivid colorful character at the forefront the first time we see pennywise in the sewer grate it's a black pit and then we see this bright white face this bright red and orange hair these glowing yellow eyes it's such a contrast between the very gray and dismal surroundings this just pop of bright sunny light and to the point later where we see pennywise's mouth open super wide and there's just a glowing light portal inside of it whatever so i i love that contrast and the contrast of pennywise standing against the burned out house with all the balloons and it's all 
black and gray and monochrome and then he's right in front as this stark white vivid color and the the red yeah the red balloons i tried to keep count i don't know if there was 99 or not but (laughs) there might have been (laughs) yeah yeah i I totally agree with what you said about just an excellent use of props like bill's bike silver right the postcard the poem that ben wrote to beverly even her key that she carries around her neck Mm, yeah she had the most color in her wardrobe too yeah Mike's sheep executing gun. You know, even Henry Bowers' knife that he lost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very... Very well done, I thought. Very beautiful. Just because we didn't talk much about the visuals or, like, the cinematography or oh, anything yeah. new the... movie-related in this yeah. movie, like, there were some good parts to yeah. that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah, the the scenes, the, the, the landscape was really great. There was a good scene of them riding their bikes by the big roundhouse building, and it just looked really beautiful and picturesque yeah and like the the scene settings were so different them walking in in single file through that field with the train going in the background that was very standby so cool right those wide outdoor landscape shots of you know showing beautiful maine scenery which i'm sure maine is quite beautiful being a coastal state and all and yeah and then being in the old house and it just being in shambles and when when richie walks into the clown room just all those different clowns <laughs> so many clowns so many clowns oh, and beverly's bathroom was a great set piece as well mm. it was filmed i don't know if it was all filmed in one location but it was it was somewhere where you if it wasn't for the evil 27 every 27 years an awful tragedy happens and kids go missing all the time kind of thing it'd be like this would be a beautiful place to live and grow up you know I feel like Ben, if he didn't get involved with the Pennywise thing, he would, and he was he was a, a more self-serving person. He would plan it so that he could move to town after the last attack, raise a family, so the kids he had were old enough to not be worried about the set, the time it comes around again, yeah, yeah. and just like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like keep it in the uh, you know line it up perfectly so that no Pennywisings can can happen. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of like horror things, you gotta avoid the iterations. <laughs> That's a good one. Good job, Luke. Go ahead. Yeah, but in terms of like the horror elements of this movie, we didn't even talk it, about the scares. Yeah, rewatching really. it, it, it was like they're, they're well done. They're like it's super atmospheric. It's kind of rewatching it the second time, knowing when the scary things were, it wasn't as scary. But the first time I watched it, I'm like, holy crap, that garage scene with the projector was so good. Mm, that was a good one. This is probably an organic time for scariest part of the movie. Let's talk about scariest parts. Go ahead, Alex. You yeah. got scariest part. So my scariest part, the first time I saw this and kind of rewatching this the second time and really paying attention to that scene was something that I think a lot of you missed. There were other people watching this with us. But it was when Ben is in the library. Oh, yeah. And the librarian gives him this book, and he opens it up, and he's flipping through the pictures. And you kind of see the shot of Ben sitting at the table with the book. And in the background, you see the librarian. And it's completely out of focus. Like, it's not clear at all. So if you don't notice it, it's not because you're not aware it's because the filmmakers are deliberately wanting you not to pay attention to that. Mm. Libra- librarian's all blurry, but she's looking at Ben with a super, super creepy, creepy stare. Oh, wow. And the first time I saw that, I was so terrified because I was like, this is the most unsettling thing. This is another daytime safety kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can, I, I'm so scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And it honestly made the scene of when Ben goes downstairs and get him actually being chased by the headless zombie and bumping into Pennywise. 
that part was less scary to me in that scene than the creepy librarian scare. That was so oh, scary wow. to me. Luke, what was your scariest part? Um, none of it scared me this time because I knew it was coming. But the first time I watched it, I think the scene that made me jump the most was actually the scene where Beverly smokes her dad in the head with the the toilet seat. The toilet seat because previous to that, all of Pennywise's supernatural scares had kind of come in isolation. So like not telegraphed, but you kind of know it. But all of the interactions that the characters have with the evil humans in their life are their own thing. The humans get their own evil, sure. and Pennywise gets his own evil, and never the twain shall meet. Yeah, right? Pennywise sees a human being evil, and is like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I will wait, yeah, I will wait, <laughs> because the fear is growing. It's the not fear my turn. is growing. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. so tasty. Pennywise is very patient when it comes to his evil, <laughs> but with that scene, she smokes her dad in the head. And so we're like, oh, gosh. And so we kind of have this release almost of a cathartic, oh, thank God she got him. Whereas she turns around, Pennywise is right there, has her by the throat. Yeah. Right? And so I remember that scene being the one that made me jump the most because that was the really the only jump scare I wasn't expecting mm. from Pennywise okay. previous. So yeah. Sure. Great the, choice. The scariest part for me was just seeing Beverly's dad be so creepy. That was... <laughs> That was like none of the none of the Pennywise stuff was scary. It was shocking. If I had been, I can see if I had been twelve and watching this movie, yeah, that would be freaky as hell. But it was like I know this is CG. It's not real. There's nothing to fear. But the the very real monster of Beverly's dad being a predator, being creepy, being inappropriate with his daughter is just ugh. And that was the scariest part for me because it's a real thing that happens. Do you have a specific? time that it happened just the first time when first, he's like am I, are you still my little girl and she has to answer just like, blah, blah, blah. no it just yuck mm. yuck 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 so that was my scariest part should we talk about what we're giving this and we should rate this movie what do you want to rate it out of friends how about uh, <laughs> out of eight thousand uh, no. pennywise teeth <laughs> or how about how about we'll rate it out of gazebos over placebos gazebos gazebos out of placebos yeah i like that (laughs) i you know i enjoyed this movie i had a fun time watching it i'm glad i saw it it was not i probably would say it's not as good as the hype man after i think i got a little bit too hyped up for me to enjoy it as full if i'd watched it in 2017 i might have a different answer but I am happy to sort of middle of the road this one, maybe slightly higher than middle of the road, but three gazebos out of five placebos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll go next. I think this film was just as enjoyable the second time as it was the first time, albeit I was scared a lot less. I do think that really what makes this movie so enjoyable for me is just the characters and you know, the child actors and them doing such a great job and the dynamic between the characters and the conversation because it just, it felt so natural that none of it seemed like there's no way kids would act like this, right? And that that really immersed me in that part of the movie. So I think I'm going to give it a 3.75 gazebos over placebos. (laughs) I like it. Luke, what are you giving this Well, this movie is benefiting from the fact that we have a podcast because... After watching it today, even, I was like, eh, this is about a 3.5. Maybe. Maybe. But talking about it with the two of you over the last little while, I actually like it more now because I feel like the themes of it aren't as obvious. I mean, it's a big budget Hollywood horror movie. So I think a lot of the deep things surrounding Stephen King motifs aren't going to be what's marketed or even on screen exactly. 
But just even talking about the ins and outs of what made a lot of the things work in the relationships made me have a deeper appreciation for this movie than I did just watching it and thinking about it myself. Mm. So this is it's going to get an even higher gazebo than if went before when we started recording. So I'm going to give it four out of four. five. Four, four out, out of five, five because I think it's actually got so many great themes to it that you can talk about. I mean, obviously, this is a pretty long episode for us for a movie that not that much happens, right? And sure. so I think that that's really good character development and good character relationship and good character implication that Stephen King has put into this story, which I like. I'm a nerd for that kind of stuff, right? So four out of five for me. Four out of five. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Alrighty. Would would either of you watch this movie again? Do you think you'd watch it in a second time or third time? I think time? after talking about those themes... I would definitely want to watch this again. Maybe not immediately, but I would love to maybe in like a year or two re-listen to this episode that we've recorded and then watch the movie and then again. Watch. Because I think there's definitely, building on what Luke said, there's a lot to glean from the themes and the characters and the way that they interact and just the storytelling, even the really subtle ways of storytelling. I yeah. think it, it, this movie did a really good job and I would love to look at it with that kind of lens again. Neat. Luke? Yeah, I would, but not because I think It is a great movie, but because I think Stephen King is a great storyteller. Okay. And so I would watch, I would want to watch it again to listen maybe to someone who even knows way more about Stephen King than I do talk about it. Interesting. Because to me, it seems like It is like an almost center of the bullseye of a type of Stephen King archetypal, archetypal story. And so I would watch it again to learn more about how Stephen King does things, right? Mm. So it's like it's almost a movie I'd love to watch in a class or something. Oh, sure around Stephen King. It is okay. Stephen King is great. Mm. That's that's how I feel I about it. Can't spell it without Stephen King. Mm-hmm. That's right. I don't know that I'd watch this movie again. Mm. I think it was fine. I'm glad I have seen it. But if I never saw it again, I wouldn't be too upset. If somebody said, hey, I want to watch it, will you watch it with me? I wouldn't say no. I didn't not enjoy it, but it's just like, I've seen it now. I don't need to see it again. It's tucked away in the back of your brain for yeah. whenever you need to pull, out, pull it out. I'll but... watch it in 27 years. Uh-oh. 2047, here we go. <laughs> gonna watch it. Let's cheer. All right. What are you cheering? This I week? have one that is going to sound so counterintuitive. Okay. But the payoff is intangible. So yesterday I went to Memory Express and I bought a new laptop. Okay. Hey. Well, it was a, it was like a secondhand, but a newly secondhand that like a oil company used and then didn't need anymore, so they sell back. So it's like the specs are really good, even though it's not a brand new. So anyway, I bought it. I come home before I even turn it on. I drop the power cable, and it's got a massive, heavy, you know, the heavy battery pack yeah. or whatever is used. Hits the bottom of the screen crack all the way through right like screen doesn't even turn on i just spent well it was a lot of money not an absurd amount but it's like a major purchase and so i don't i haven't even turned this thing on yet and i've broken it (laughs) and so of course i'm in a bad mood and i go and i take it back and the nice thing is that even though warranties don't cover physical damage they do they're going to find a screen replacement install it and the warranty does cover the labor so i only have to pay for the hardware okay so like it's probably going to be another maybe 150 200 bucks which sucks but 
the, the something to cheer in all of this, which doesn't sound like something to cheer, is that I realized that this is like the first really major bad luck thing I've had in my life in a while that rises to the level of when I would usually get so angry or so self-pitying or so oh. self just in a funk and like treat other people worse and be unreasonable basically or irrational because something bad happened to me don't you know now everybody and, needs to be feeling yeah bad. and i realized the half-life on things like anger and frustration and sadness and and self-pity for me is almost zero now it was only about eight minutes before i was like huh eh, shit happens you know like that sucks but here are the steps i take to fix the problem it's in the past so I don't want it to affect my life any more than it has already now. And I moved on. This is only a day ago and I'm already not angry because what else? What like there's just nothing to it. And there's no there's no there's nothing no to, one to blame. Yeah, no one to blame. I, I made a mistake. I dropped a heavy thing on a screen. And it's like I'll be more careful around my computers from now on, I'll tell you that. I learned a similar lesson. Yeah. And so my something to cheer is that I have actually grown up. A little bit Yay, wow. in life. Who knew that breaking a laptop screen would be another loss of innocence moment? <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I had a similar. Not to not to distract. I've lost from... much innocence looking at computer <laughs> screens <laughs> in my time. Alex, I'll tell you that right now. Not to distract too much from the summer to cheer section, which I forgot about. Um, <laughs> but over the Thanksgiving weekend, I went up to Pigeon Lake again, and we. I had a, a very similar thing where we were we were driving. My mom was driving, and we we drove past this lake, and there was just a bunch of like these trumpeter swans on it. So we wanted to go look at it, and I had a whole bunch of stuff in. And I was like trying to fuck around with it, and I ended up putting my like wireless earbuds on the top of the car, and then getting my shoes on, and looking at the swans, and then getting back in the car, and then we drive to the lake, and I get there, and I'm like, I can't find my wireless earbuds anywhere, and I had left them on the roof of the car where they had hung on for <laughs> almost long enough to get home because my mom was driving around and found them about an hour away, like an hour closer to the lake than from when we stopped. <laughs> so they hung on for so long, but they were completely smashed. They were in multiple pieces. I think it's a miracle that your mom found them. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. She found them and I learned my lesson that I should buy Apple Care on my products because I had to buy... <laughs> whole new ones and when i brought them in they're like are you gonna repair them i was no please just take these please give me my new ones goodbye (laughs) but but anyway Uh, yeah so that's something to cheer i love it yeah what are you cheering alex so thursday passed i officiated my friend's wedding (laughs) oh yeah Yeah, and that was just that was a ton of fun I'm very honored that they asked me to do it and that's so cool it was a new experience for me and Definitely, they got what they paid for, which was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they got good one, Alex. Famous, renowned podcast host Alex Wan to officiate their wedding. So, listeners, if you want Alex to officiate your wedding, <laughs> just DM him. <laughs> yeah, so it was. It was just I don't know. With with this year, it was really nice to have a, a Aww, very special moment that. between two people and being able to have a small part in that. I love that. Yeah, that's so good. Yay! That was my and congrats to Sam and Nick. Congratulations to Sam and Nick. Woo, for getting married. My something to cheer is not personal growth related, nor is it officiating a friend's wedding related. But yesterday I was just having a chill day at home and <laughs> I watched Avengers Endgame and the fucking movie. 
just so great. Just uh, my specific something to cheer is the portal scene in Avengers Endgame. And spoiler alert for that if you haven't seen it, but when everybody comes back through the portals before the big fight with Thanos and mm. Cap says Avengers assemble, like I stood up and cheered for real. So yeah. fuck, it's just I would cry now if I saw that scene. It's so good. And just dun, 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 no, <laughs> so good. Yeah. So I, I mean, I love Star Wars. We talk about it all the time. I have a tattoo of Star Wars, but that Avengers Endgame portal scene is one of the best mm-hmm. scenes in movies. I would put that against any other scene in the movie, and I don't care who asks me about it. That's my something to cheer. Avengers Endgame, the portal scene. Cool. Super, super fun. That brings us to the end of this very sort of rambly. <laughs> it was quite rambly. Episode of nothing. I, I to felt fear. actually really good about talking about this one. Here's hoping I can edit it so good, but good but I do want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in every week. We have seen somewhat of an explosion in listeners of the last couple of weeks, maybe because as we are recording this, it is October. And more people are listening to horror stuff because it's the spooky, spooky month, even though this episode is not coming until November. <laughs> but thank you so much for all the people listening. And thank you for those who take the time out of their day to leave us a five-star review if you got it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts. It really does help us reach more people. It helps us move up in the charts and it helps the show grow. So if you do have the time to leave a one or two sentence review on Apple Podcasts, Throw us five stars if you got them, and, you know, we'll we'll read one out on air. And I have one. I do have a review. That's a great segue. A great standy-uppy two-wheel bike. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from username Lacey of the Arts. Five-star review. Definitely something to cheer. I can't call myself a big horror movie fan, but I do know that when you can listen to somebody passionately talk about something... You're going to appreciate it more. All three hosts bring a great mix of honesty, humor, and humility, but I have to hand it to Billy for the little extra tasteful sass. I don't know where they're getting that from. <laughs> I think there's definitely something here for everyone, from the completely uninitiated, uninitiated to the more well-versed horror fan. Sit back, pop in the earbuds, and just enjoy. Thank you, Lacey. Yeah, thank you. That's very That's nice. fun five-star review. Woo! All right. We're almost at the end of this episode, friends. Oh, don't tease us. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just getting warmed up. It's all over except for the <laughs> editing not for getting me. warmed up? Right. Who? David. Because we <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I told we'll him we were almost done. That was like over an hour ago. We'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Alex for writing the music to the show. Thank you to Katie Rogers for designing our logo, of which you can buy merch of. If you go to our Tee Public store, you can buy a T-shirt. You can buy a coffee mug, mouse pad, whatever. Maybe a mouse pad? I don't know. But buy it with our logo on it. It's so cool i had coffee out of it this morning i love it and so thank you to our fabulous creative team that's what i'm calling you now if you want to get in touch with the show please do leave us a message on our social medias over at instagram nothing to fear podcast you can tweet at us at nothing to fear p1 numeral one you can send us an email at nothing to fear podcast at gmail.com and if you wish to get in t- contact with me directly my Instagram handle is Billy by Design, with underscores between each word and Billy spelled with an IE. That'll do it. That'll do it. What are we gonna watch next week? Probably something different. Probably not finish this this two part saga. What do you think? House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> I think it's gonna be Tie Fighter. 
well, Ty is it backwards, but then I was like, Ty Fighter. But Ty is spelled T I E. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, sorry, Ty E I Fighter. Aren't we kind of branching on a TV? I think we're going to watch the IT crowd. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So stay tuned for our special episode on the IT crowd. No. That's just a joke. I can't wait. I love watching it, but I wonder, I can't wait to see what follows it. <laughs> hmm? Next right. week, we're doing It Chapter 2. Friends, I love you all. Goodbye. Goodbye. Later. We did it. Hello, friends. When I recorded this episode, we did not have two designs in our store, but now we have two designs in our Tee Public store. There is the Nothing to Fear logo, which is amazing, and it looks so good, and Katie Rogers designed it, but there is also a Daytime and Safety design that is adorable as heck. There are monsters playing on a playground. It is fantastic. My friend Madison, Makeshift Madison on Instagram, designed it. It looks so great. You're going to want to pick one of these up because I can't overstate how cute this thing is. It's so awesome. Please consider getting one. Okay. Have a good time, everyone. Bye. I mean, speaking of that, should we cheer something? We should cheer something. I can't believe I missed the whole fucking thing. No, you, you don't have to miss it. You can what do you mean edit. miss it? I forgot it. I did it in the other, other way. Something to cheer? Yeah, I forgot about it. Well, well, why can't we do it after? We'll do it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Is it the end of the world if we read a review before we something to cheer? It is. There's Titan gods rising from the earth as oh. we speak. It's the end of the world oh. as I know it. I'm well. okay about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, well I might as cheer. well not do it then. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's please Something cheer. to cheer. Something we don't to cheer. have to know. <laughs> something to cheer. Let's.